still finally gave the Ringers Philly crew a podcast. I'm Ben Solak. And I'm Shiel Kapadia. That's right, just a couple Philly guys with the new space to fire off some Eagles takes, get caught up in the Sixers chaos, and more. We'll be coming to you twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, plus bonus episodes whenever we get breaking news or Philly drama. Plus, when Harden and Embiid somehow convince you suckers that this year's going to be different, our fellow Philly stands at the Ringer will have you covered on the Sixers and all your other favorite teams in town. It's Philly sports, Shiel. What could possibly go wrong? Join the fun and follow the Ringer's Philly special now on Spotify. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out Live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Folks, basketball, predictably, understandably, reliably, is so very freaking good. And it's a beautiful day to talk about hoops. Any day is a beautiful day to talk about hoops when I'm joined by Sirit Sohi, the poet laureate of Edmonton, the basketball guru uh, that I have the pleasure of talking to on a weekly basis. Sirit, how are you doing? I'm excellent after that intro. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, I'm just on cloud nine now. You know, I was feeling a little self-conscious before we started. Uh, but I think I'm ready to pod. Feeling feeling amped up. What's mm-hmm. uh, what's you, what you've been watching? What's kind of been on your kind of day to day hoops mind? Have you have you been excited about anything? Discouraged by anything? What's going on with you? Well, I've been. I was talking to you about this before the podcast. The play of one Jordan Clarkson has been an absolute revelation to me. Uh, I did not see this playmaking turn coming in his game. He is reading the game excellently. I was at the Clippers game last night, and uh, and David Block, who is probably you know, his, his, has the sharpest eye on that team has been, you know, talking about him, how he is not only making better plays, but also just like telling people where to go, you know, knowing what to do in a way that, you know, we had not, we had never seen this from Jordan Clarkson before. And we had not seen a lot of things from Utah jazz players that we're seeing now. Lowry marketing yeah. has been a revelation as well. So I'm really enjoying watching that team lately. Yeah, I feel like the Utah Jazz just cumulatively, that's not even what we're here to talk about today, but but I feel like they they just kind of have been misevaluated in general. But Clarkson is so interesting. Like I, I kind of people have put him in this box with like agree or disagree. They've kind of put him in this box with like guys who kind of are what they are, which is a useful thing, but and and almost like kind of the butt of a joke in a lot of situations. Like, you know, a lot of comments about his confidence. 
as a shooter, which is kind of both his weapon and his enemy. Um, and uh, I don't know. I kind of feel like that's where Jordan Clarkson has been for a lot of his career. Yeah, I mean, also, I think some of that's fair, too. I mean, that is just kind of the player that he has shown himself to be. I think there was just a lot of ridiculous shots that he that he took for a long time. And he kind of like he has shot himself out of playoff series before. He has just like taken some absolutely egregious shots. But he's you know he's averaging a career high in points and also three point nine assists uh, per game as well, which is not a career high. But when you you know combine that with the fact that Conley is healthy and the ball is moving around in general a lot more, it's uh it's it's a pretty impressive turn. Yeah, Seert's texting me from the Clippers game last night, just uh, you know, just really singing the praises of Jordan Clarkson, which I don't know that I would have like predicted that when I got up yesterday. But you know, we're not here to talk about Jordan Clarkson today. We're here to continue our series about adaptability, about evolution. What's another adjective that works here? Uh, just the Darwinism of basketball, right? Survive, adapt or die, kind of thing. Not maybe not literally p- pass away, but uh, be out of the league. Um, Today, we want to talk about something that I think is really important uh, and relevant because we kind of see stars go through this a lot. of the, Well, I mean, it is relevant particularly to stars, but I think it's of public interest because we kind of watch guys, we watch their narrative arc closely. Narrative arc is the thing that we kind of impose on the game, whether it needs to be there a lot or not in a lot of situations. Today, we want to talk about John Wall specifically. So we're just kind of talking about aging gracefully uh, today in the, in the NBA. Um, you went and talked to John Wall, and we want to talk about that for a second. But um, when do you remember first hearing about John Wall? Because I feel like he's kind of he's a guy that has like a lot of respect within the basketball culture. You know, John Wall was like the first time one of my cousins respected my basketball opinion. Because oh, I want to yeah. hear about this. <laughs> he was, I think it was when he was he was at Kentucky, and it was when he was going into the draft and. We were kind of going back and forth about, you know, should he go number one or should Evan Turner go number one? I was always on the John Wall train. Like, I just, I loved his game. Obviously, like, he was just much more athletic. And I think Turner got more credit for being, like, a cerebral, intelligent player. But I always just thought Wall's passing was really underrated. And, like, he just had incredible eyes. He's, you know, this was a guy who, like, even when he got into the league, this was before the three-point revolution, like, before we knew how good of shots these were. He was excellent at finding shooters in the corner. Like his drive and kick game was, it wasn't LeBron James level, but he was definitely one of the better driver drive and kick guys in the NBA. And he created a lot of efficient shots before we even knew that these were like really valuable shots to be taking. So I kind of imagine what he'd look like in the, in the modern NBA, but uh, he, yeah, he ended up obviously being a lot better than Evan Turner. And uh, just, I got, I got points for that. So John Wall has a special place in my heart for, feeding my ego more than anything else. That's always useful. That's good. To, <laughs> I love that story. I love that you had to, you you just kind of permeate basketball. Like you just exude basketball savviness. So I'm surprised you had to win someone over, especially someone that knows you. That kind of surprises me. You, you would be shocked how little my family respects my opinion sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Been there. I think you're right about John Wall being like, maybe it's the, when you impose your will athletically the way that he has in different settings, maybe people just automatically, there are a lot of like stereotypical things about those player types where people are like, they just don't think of him. I think Morant's had some of that too. Morant was so just incendiary, athletic, bendy, bouncy, flexible. You just think of him as like an Iverson score body type. 
But it's like, nah, Morant is like a really, really creative, manipulative, calculated passer. And I feel like Wall and Morant, I tweeted about this the other day, that I think Morant is kind of the height of the overlap of those two qualities. Like, super nuclear elite athlete point guard and passing playmaking chops. But I feel like Wall is kind of behind him. Not far behind, but but behind him. Yeah, I think... I mean, that's a great comparison. I think the difference is probably just how creative Jaw is as a passer. Like, I think I think you were the one to say this, right? Like that Jaw is probably the most creative passer from that sort of combo athletic guard position, right? Yeah, I, I posited that. And I think that some of – I mean, athleticism drives it, honestly. I think mm-hmm. some of the situations that Jaw can – but I think spatial, like, exploration of the floor and playmaking, those two things, like, go hand in hand, you know? The more you can navigate the floor with your ball skills, I feel like the more decisions are available to you. And Morant has decisions available to him that aren't available to mm-hmm. other people, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. Like, creativity is something that's, like, exudes from every part of this game. It's not just his passing. It's basically just, like, you know, anytime he gets into the paint, you just don't really know what he's going to do. Um, but also, creativity is kind of a ladder as well, right? Like, Jaw's game is built on players like Wall being able to kind of find the like the angles that he found in the game that a lot of other guys started to copy, and then like you kind of build up to a player like Jaw, right? Uh, I was gonna say that like Wall is more of a like pierces, punctures the defense head on with his speed, and you can kind of see him trying to do some of that stuff now, um, which I want to talk about in a minute. Um, I think Wall just has been such an important. I think we're paying attention to him just because of that cultural sort of narrative arc thing because Wall entered our life at a time where like Kentucky basketball was in the dumpster. Um, they'd had two of the worst seasons they'd had in school history. And then Cal comes in and Wall, it hadn't he, he was going to go play for Cal at Memphis, but he hadn't confirmed that he was coming to Kentucky. And Kentucky had not had a, like a player, A, a rock star player like him, and B, just an athlete like him, like a guy that probably should be in the NBA so when he announced, I remember I was substitute teaching at Rowan County High School in Moorhead, Kentucky. And this guy that I had established that like we'd talked just a couple times, knew I was a, could tell I was a basketball fanatic. We, I was like handing out worksheets or something. And this guy just <laughs> poked his head in the classroom and he goes, they got John Wall. And, I, and it, was, it was a big, big deal. So like Wall comes and I remember there was a play where they had North Carolina at home and Wall took the ball off the rim or maybe somebody shoveled it to him. It was a short pass. And he just hit the gas and went the length of the court and and dunked in traffic in a way that point guards don't typically do. Um, but man, he, he was just a thrilling, thrilling player to watch. And honestly, around that time, I can't remember and and forward up until his injuries, if you think about players like getting it off the rim and like taking three or four dribbles to go the length of the court, who are like the fastest people that you can remember like seeing do that? Because Wall is way up there for me, I would say. Wall still has a lot of that speed. Like that's what's kind of shocking about watching him on the Clippers is that he can't go from zero to a hundred like he does like he did back then, but you know, back in the day, I don't think I'd ever seen a player move that quickly. Or, on the court. I actually, I actually can't think of a comparison. Can you, uh, I would say Iverson was really fast yeah. like that. Um, but Ty Lawson was actually at his peak, yeah. like incredibly fast with the ball. Um, he could, he could just make things happen as a result of that speed. Um, Lawson maybe a little better than people remember. Like I feel like sometimes, um, had his obviously had his like problems, yeah. but in terms of speed, 
Uh, those guys come to mind. I, I can't really think of Ish Smith is really fast, but not necessarily as effective. Um, but yeah, so people can hit us up with like other guys that they can remember that are as fast uh, if, if they want on Twitter or whatever. Darren Fox, maybe. That's another really good one. That's mm-hmm. a good one. I, I guess the difference between like being guys that can finish, guys that can get in the teeth and make good decisions, things like that. But uh, so Wall Wall has kind of had a ride where, you know, he he was sort of a load bearing beam for the Wizards for several years, had his career year in uh, 1617. I think we would agree um, where he had his like career high in points. He was averaging 23.1 a game, uh, 10.7 assists per game. He's always been a little chaotic. That was something else I was going to add in here. His turnover numbers have been kind of high i mean you're gonna get some of that with when the ball's in your hands and and you play the way he does but he's always he's always kind of flirted with that like troublesomely chaotic turnover prone right absolutely i think i think that year was also a career high in turnovers right 4.1 he did it two years in a row 16 and 17 yeah so i talked to i talked to wall about a number of things but i talked to him about this season um he had said earlier this year that basically like he's so he's let's set this up like he's on the Clippers right now and he is playing an entirely different role than he has ever played in his career he is coming off the bench he is on a minutes restriction um he is sometimes playing in dual point guard lineups sometimes he's off the ball if if he's playing with Kawhi or or PG or, or Reggie Jackson there's a number of ball handlers on that team he's much more of a table setter now than he ever was before um, he's 32 years old. He's seen a number of injuries at this point in his career. So, which is kind of what led us to where we are now, right? Yeah. So it's like he he had the Achilles and 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 just didn't play in 21, 22. So yeah, and he he also had I think it was that season, right? He had one of the most more more unfortunately timed injuries, getting injured in the middle of a series against Atlanta, which I think looking back, they would have clearly won that series. And we don't talk about it enough because Atlanta was the number one seed and they ended up doing what they were supposed to do. But I think if Wall was healthy throughout that series, who knows where that Wizards team team goes. So he's he's definitely had he's had a bad go of it. And that's not even getting into some of like the personal stuff that he's been through over mm-hmm. like the last uh the last few years. He wrote an excellent piece on the Players Tribune that I, I'm sure everyone has read it if you haven't though I would recommend that you do. He is incredibly open about so many of the things that he's been through. He he lost his mom. You know, he he lost the game for a long time. And as we're going to talk about, he that is just something that's so huge to him. He I know a lot of guys love basketball, but this guy loves basketball. Um, he was just kind of at, at the lowest of lows. You know, he was, he, 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 he's talked about, you know, being suicidal and now everything he does is essentially for his kids. Um, and I just, I, I think it's amazing that he is so open about things like that, uh, especially in the sports world, uh, especially being a man. Like it's just kind of, you know, it, it's big. I think, I think things like that kind of, they open up conversations for other people. It just kind of normalizes. Um, being able to talk about it and he's just you know talking to him one thing i noticed is he'll, he'll he's really comfortable talking about anything you know he's he's kind of an open book um and he loves talking who you know mm-hmm. um you know a lot of times after a game you talk to a player for a while and they're like they kind of want to get out of there and I, with him i was more more sort of just like ah, i shouldn't take up more of his time but he yeah, was just I love kinda, when that happens <laughs> you know what i, I mean? love when that happens yeah, um, yeah well you you said that there are a few things that jumped out just like little little pieces of just like a short conversation you had with him that I liked, which was he started telling you about his, you and I were talking about our TV setups, but mm-hmm. John Wall has, uh, he, he's, he's an obsessive hoops watcher apparently. Yeah. He has four TV set up in his house. Uh, 
He says one of them is usually on security, <laughs> security. Um, and <laughs> the other three funny. will have sports going on. If it's Sunday, it's going to be red zone. If, if his security there is there, then all four of the TVs are going to be on basketball and like, he'll be watching high school hoops, like women's and men's. He'll be watching college. He was <laughs> talking to me about how Kentucky in his words, fucking stinks right now. And I wish you yeah. were there, Kyle, because I oh didn't have a lot to add to that conversation. He goes, we fucking stink. <laughs> I was rolling at that. That was great. And he's right. They do stink right now. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he talked to me about that 2016-2017 year. And it kind of stuck stuck out to me as the key of why he's been able to adapt. Uh, you know, basically, he just said he doesn't want to be 2016 wall. He's glad that he doesn't have to be 2016 wall. He said it was too much. And, you know, he probably had one of the highest usage rates in NBA history. I actually checked that out, and it turns out that he ranked 236th all time. Um, mm. So that's not – I mean, for for a ball-dominant point guard, um, that's not too bad, especially considering that he was the scorer and a sister for, for that team. I think he basically put it as like he had to – he was coming in, saving the whole fucking city and franchise. I also love how much he swears. Like, it was just, you know, oh, yeah. we were vibing. <laughs> Love a good swearer. Absolutely. The heavy load thing is interesting to me. Like, how many players, this is just off the cuff here, like, I mean, how many players do you think actually feel that way? Like, do you think at the time he was thinking, this is too much, I wish I had help, or is it kind of the dynamic like we talked about before where guys hit that hit that threshold of, like, the Luca mj thing mm -hmm. and, and the, you know, that we were talking about? Um, I wonder how many guys really actively feel that, or do some mm -hmm. guys? Lucas seems to enjoy it. He seems to enjoy just having the keys and not giving them up. I don't know. I just wonder. I wonder if that how normal that is in the moment to feel the anxiety of that for some guys. I think for most people, when they're under pressure, they want to be in control of things. So if you are like John Wall was, if you're the number one pick and you're trying to live up to that expectation, then you know having all of that burden on you and being able to carry it, I think at least then you can t tell yourself like, okay, I was worth the number one pick. I, I want with Luca. I'm not sure. I feel like Luca just he's kind of got the LeBron thing where he sees the game better than everybody else, so he wants to orchestrate things in a very particular way. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I think all players kind of have to learn that that's not necessarily going to be conducive to long-term winning. And I think that's what Wall learned. Like, I think there's two things here. I think the fact that he looked at uh, a, a season that actually ranked 236 all-time in usage kind of shows you where his basketball sensibilities lie, uh, where this is a guy who, you know, did get compared. He was compared to Rose a lot it, back mm -hmm. then. And I think, like, Rose was somebody who was actually much more of a, a natural scorer than uh, than Wall was, whereas like Wall was always a bit of a natural playmaker, and I wonder if he would have maybe preferred to to lean into that part of his game if he could have, and that's kind of what he's getting to do with the Clippers. It's part that's that's one of the reasons why I think it's working, but also just you know having all the injuries and now being 32 years old, you can tell that there's a sense uh, that. I get the sense that there's part of his pride that he's put aside just because he is realistic about what, you know, what can happen moving forward. And I think it's, it also kind of comes back down to his love for the game as well. Uh, one of the things that he talked about was just, you know, just, just, yeah, how much he's like, he loves the game. Like whether it was, you know, you could take away the money and the fame and all that, and he'd still love playing basketball. And everybody says that, but I think that, 
this is something that's genuinely true for him. And he also said, like, you know, if he wants to play a lot more years, then he's going to have to adapt, right? Like, he doesn't love that he's on a minutes restriction. You know, he doesn't love that, you know, last, last game, third quarter, he has to come come out the six minute mark and Ty Lugo goes to him. And he's like, ah, I don't want to take you out, but I have to, but he understands that. Like he understands, you know, this is, this is a, this is a Clippers, right? Like they, they are the Kings of load management, right? They are tracking everything uh, these guys are doing and they want to make sure that wall and Kawhi and, and PG who's out right now and all their bets, they peak at the right time. And so he's, willing to understand that plan. And I think he's just had experience now where he knows that that's going to be the best way to go about it. Let's talk about like in the basketball sense, specifically what's different for him on court. Um, we, we talk about he, you know, I, a lot of those wizards team base, they, they had a, they just had a core functionality that worked mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the, I feel like the, I wanted to throw a stat at you too. And just, this is kind of just hitting on the evolution of who he's been as a player and, and a little bit of like how the league has changed uh, since he's been in the league, in Wall's first two years, he ran 865 pick and rolls. Out of how many of those, Sirit, do you think that he attempted a three as the ball handler in the pick and roll? Ooh, over, sorry, over how many seasons? Two seasons, his uh-huh. first two years in the league, he ran 865 pick and rolls. How many of them did he shoot a three when he was the handler? 40? No, lower. Really? 14. 14 times. (laughs) To give you an idea of how basketball has changed, I would love to see if there's another player carrying that load of pick and roll in the league now that's shooting that. I, I feel like the... I feel like the the cost to to play the the poker game of pick and roll in the NBA has the buy-in is higher. You got you got to be shooting pull of threes, I think, at that volume, right? Mm-hmm. I have to admit, even Demar Derozan in like his spursiest, most defiant moments was definitely like over two seasons. We're probably shooting more than fourteen threes off the pick and roll. Yes, it's not many. Uh, I was going to say too. Another thing that always would amuse me, you know, you're talking about things that worked back then was Gortat. Uh, his social media presence always really amused me. A because he would fight with people in the comments in in uh, I forget the, the the Polish yeah in Polish and then he also would post highlights that were John Wall highlights. Actually, it would always be some kind of pocket pass, some kind of drop. Like I don't know, they had a good chemistry, but I, I just that always amused me their dynamics. I wasn't aware of that. That's awesome. That seems like a very Gortat thing to do. I was reading an interview from, I think, two days, like, not, I was reading the interview two days ago, uh, where Gortat was talking about how, you know, him and Wall definitely, they clashed a little bit when they were players, but he basically said, like, he would kill to play with him again. Yeah. You know, just because of how, e- like, how easy it was to play with him, like, that he would basically just be standing in the paint and then find the ball in his hands, thanks to him. Yeah, they had a nice chemistry. They had a nice dynamic. But, you know, as it evolved and we and we move forward and, and Wall is now with the Clippers, um, how would you say his... He, he definitely came around to shooting more threes, clearly, um, you know, over the course of his career. I think he's got... I think his touch is okay. You know, his career high was, was 2015-16 where he shot 35.1% uh, on 4.3 attempts. Um, I don't think he's like an abysmal shooter. Uh, you know, he wasn't like young Rubio abysmal, but he was. it was definitely a thing that you would be more willing to give up than him getting into the paint. Um, but how would you say his usage has evolved now? Like in terms of like adapting who he is and aging gracefully, how is he doing that on the court literally with the Clippers, would you say? So his best shooting season was actually 27, 2018. 
he shot 37 percent uh granted he did miss half of the season but it was oh uh, you're right yeah he shot 4.1 attempts per game there moving on to the Clippers part of this so he is in an interesting place right now where I think as much as he doesn't want the pressure um, and is happy to play on this team where, you know, he, he said, these are the best, this is the best shooting group he's ever played with and the most talent he's ever played with. And that definitely serves his playmaking skills um, and the more cerebral side of his game. But he is also kind of, like you said, a little chaotic on the turnovers. I think he's still figuring out like how to, how to play with these guys and also how to kind of slow his game down and, realize that he doesn't necessarily have to go, you know, deep into the paint and try to, you know, muster something. And I think, I think for a long time in his career, that was kind of his job. Like if I don't do it, nobody else will. So I got to get like real deep into the paint, like draw a bunch of guys and then kick the ball out. Right. And Mm -hmm. while that's obviously very valuable to be able to do, like there are a lot of times where, you know, the, the passing angle isn't necessarily there and, he forces it or he's just you know going moving a little too fast for the game uh he's always he's always Bingo, like moving yeah. a little bit even even at this age he's sometimes just way ahead of his teammates right so i think i think he's kind of in a middle ground right now where he's figuring out like i think we got to talk about the 15 assist game he had uh against the spurs he came off the bench or, earlier this week uh and actually you know i think it was the most assists uh on the clippers since uh since chris paul and i think the most uh most assists coming off the bench since uh Pooh richardson Pooh in, richardson yeah in 2007 uh and it was just it was just a really exceptional sort of vintage john wall night but the thing that i really liked seeing was just not just the driving kicks but how often it was just that he was setting the table you know marcus morris has a mismatch so he gets everybody else to clear out and you know, he and Marcus has a, the space to work and he gets a he gets a quick bucket or, you know, he's just sur- surveying the action and you've got, you know, you know Ka- Kawhi cutting or you've got Norman Powell cutting and he just hits them real quickly. And he's just like he's kind of in the top at the top of the paint, letting a whole bunch of stuff happen around him and just reading the game. And those are those those plays are a lot safer. Like he's always going to be a guy who threads a needle, like kind of making like high risk, high reward plays. But those ones I think really balance it out. And the other thing that I love, obviously I personally love you personally love is just him being the screener in, uh, in pick and rolls, right? Like we've talked about this with Dennis Smith jr. We've talked about this with, with a ton of different guards, how, you know, it's great how guards are in the pick and roll a lot more now. And the thing that's really cool about John doing it is that he's such a great playmaker that if he gets a ball in the middle of the floor, you know, cutting off the pick and roll, then he's probably going four on three and has a ton of reads or he's still athletic enough and savvy enough around the rim that he can just drive. So he's got a ton of options from that spot. And it's really good for the Clippers too, because this is a team like this. The reason they got John Wall is because they really lacked in the playmaking department, right? Like this is a team that has all the talent in the world, uh, but needs somebody to organize it. And like, there was another moment third quarter last game where he was on the floor with uh, with the bench and, uh, you know, Norman Powell, who was having a great game to that point, hadn't gotten a, a lot of touches. And, you know, he he comes off a pick and I was like, I kind of had the perfect angle to see this, but he comes off a pick and hits a shot. And like, you can see John just kind of looks at him and it's like, you can feel it. there's there's something sort of starting to like matriculate in his head. And the next three possessions down the floor, 
he is basically like he he's waving off Batum like he's like Batum you go get in the corner and like I'm gonna be on the side and like he waves Norman up and he's like hey okay like you're running this you're running this play right like he's just three three times in a row Norm just he I think it was like jumper drive jumper and that's something the Clippers really need like for a team that's really talented you need somebody who can recognize when somebody is going and just kind of keep going to the well over and over again. Um, and they haven't necessarily mastered that yet. They're still really figuring it, figuring each other out and they haven't really been healthy either. Like the second Kawhi comes back, you know, that same game, Paul George leaves with an injury. So they're, they're not at their, their, their full strength right now, but when they are like things like that are going to be really vital. Yeah. I think that he's a really helpful tool in the sense that like, we both know that like Kawhi grew as like a, a pick and roll playmaker passer type, you know, balancing the scoring with that. And Paul, Paul George, obviously, I think he's going to sort of at like ideal optimism here, like or like being optimization or being optimized. Uh, he is going to like take pressure off of Paul, I think, off of PG, because if he, if PG is really going and teams start like blitzing or like hard, like hedging showing hard on on his in pick and roll situations with him uh wall has just shown that he has like a sense for that they haven't they haven't done it like at volume yet and like i've seen every single clip where they got something productive out of him being the screener uh where he would just kind of slip to the middle was wall sensing that that was happening and i think you're right that once he gets in the middle i think you're just getting an above average like playmaking mind and uh, as somebody that like you know you might get like bruce brown and that or draymond and those guys both have their credibility in making like great plays but i think that john's like passing vocabulary is wider and, and i think it's true that like just throughout his career we think of him as like a a scoring type but i mean he only averaged over 20 points like during his prime i mean like this is a guy who's averaged somewhere between 16 and 20 points his whole career. He's not somebody that's trying to blitz you with with offense all of the time. But I, you, the point that you made about like his pace, um, it is funny. He still does do that, and I think it's it's him maybe kind of calibrating, getting a sense of like when he's over penetrated. I know a lot of his turnovers were him trying to like float over the top to Zubac. Um, yeah, it seems like some of those things are going to kind of run. You would you would think they'll stabilize around the playoffs, but he's a nice tool for them uh, if teams start to load up against Kawhi and Paul George. I also think part of it is coming off the bench and trying to make an impact right away. Uh, I think I think one of the like one of the things I kind of sense from just watching his interviews throughout the year so far is that he just he wants to be able to make more of an impact than he has. You know, like as we talk about the pressure um, of being like the number one pick and all that stuff, but there's also a responsibility that I think certain guys crave, and I think he's one of those guys. Like he wants to be able to make an impact. Like when I watch him, you know, on the bench, he's always talking. Um, and it's you know, it's, it's I, th- I think one of the interesting things that's developed this season is just how well him and Reggie Jackson are playing together. I think they came in and it was like, okay, these guys are going to have to compete for the same minutes, and to some extent, that's still true. And you know, they had to compete for the uh, the starting position in training camp. But at the same time, like that, uh, that, that duo is playing incredibly well together because I mean, Reggie's more of a natural scorer, right? So if he has somebody like wall setting him up, like that's, that's going to be great. And like, you know, he checked out of the game and Reggie's smiling, uh, cause John had a good shift. Like they're happy for each other too. Right. And that's like being able to see those things on a team is like, is, is really good. Like just, you know, we're going to talk about their long-term chemistry. So yeah, there are a lot of different elements that go into like adapting and, and, and accepting a different role and what that means on the court and things like that. And 
Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about age in the NBA, and I want to talk to you about uh, how that affects John Wall, how that's affected other players uh, in the broad kind of themes and that. But before we do that, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m., and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, so John said something else interesting to you. Um, he just, it was a little aside. He just kind of said, he just threw it in there. He was talking about John's 32 years old now, which is like hard for me to like grapple with because <laughs> I just think of him as like a young, I just think of him as a kid. Like, you know, he is this like, he always had this youthful energy. I just, it's weird to, it's, it's weird for me to accept that he could be that old in the, in the league, but which 32 is not old, but in the NBA, once you get past 30, things start to get pretty tough, you know, to hang around. It, it gets harder. Uh, it's like the ageism thing uh, that we were joking about with Michael Scott. Uh, w- John said something about that. Though. Can you can you enlighten us on that? Yeah, he said, I feel like the league right now is trying to kick a lot of the veterans out. I feel like they're just moving, progressing to the younger guys, new generation, which is fine. But I think a lot of teams could use veterans for these young teams to give them guidance on how to be professionals. Sirit, what he said is true. I went back and looked at this over the past 10 seasons. Um Yeah, back in 2012-13, there were 132 players in the NBA over the age of 30. Uh, In 2022-23, this season, for anybody not paying attention, there are 90 players over the age of... So, big drop. And it's kind of like... I made a graph for you, but it's kind of gradually gone down. Um, A, why do we think that is? Um, Let's just start there. And then, like... Do we think that that number could change if we're kind of looking at some of the free agents that are out there? Is that a, is that a is he is he right? Is that a case of the current NBA mm-hmm. or is it just a blip? Is it something that the number will shoot back up? So ninety is like let's like take everyone through who, how dramatically low ninety is. 
given the history. Yeah, I mean it's it's significantly lower. Um, and and you look at the players who are available over thirty that are on the free agent market. I don't think those guys are coming into the league. Like, um, I don't know. I, is it a case of kind of the thing we've talked about that like? it is just more difficult to hang around in the NBA because the the talent level is up? I think maybe that could be part of it. I wonder if it's a faster league right now. But at the same time, like, I just, I feel like he has a point. You know, there are certain guys who have genuinely aged themselves out that, you know, might not find a fit in the league. But I think, like, the thing I kind of think about is the last two seasons of Jamal Crawford just basically begging for a spot in the NBA and not being able to find one. Uh there are a lot of teams that could use just like a professional who who walks in and is happy every day or not necessarily always happy, but like just kind of has perspective on the NBA life. Like, I don't know. Houston's a great example, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I don't know exactly what goes on in that locker room, but like one of the first games that sees of their season, they had that scuffle. Um, and you can just see Aaron, Eric Gordon's face. Like I, you could put the curb, curb your enthusiasm music <laughs> on that clip and just zoom into his face because like he is just somewhere else. He's just like, Oh man, I'm too old for this shit, you know? Cause he's like, he's like the only guy there that's a vet, right? And while like, well, I think it's like Jalen Green and, uh, and Jabari getting into it, right? And, you know, it's just, Young teams are fragile, and I think that it's really important but to have. But the Clippers aren't young. That's the thing. The Clippers are one of the oldest teams in the NBA. The right? Clippers aren't young. The Clippers are actually one of those teams that's like a solid mix of vets that should be a veteran team because they all have like a kind of similar style of communication where like, you know, I th- Wall actually said something along along the lines of, not talking to me, but in another interview where it's like, you know, we all have kids on this team and we know what it's like to talk to our kids where like you have to explain everything to them and they don't necessarily want to listen. You shouldn't have to do that with grown adults, right? Um, and I think this team kind of has like, has guys like that. Like I think, you know, Ka- Kawhi will, you know, take it, process it, go with it. Like I think Morris is somebody who, you know, is going to say, what he has to say and they're all kind of that way right so I think it works for them right but you know I I think there are a lot of teams I think like the the biggest example right now that sticks out is the Warriors um you know there's been a lot of writing on this but you know Rob Mahoney wrote a great column for us on just how the Warriors aren't necessarily doing a great job of sticking to their their two-timeline approach and when you watch them like you can kind of clearly see that there are guys especially like you know Wiseman's not playing anymore but Wiseman either did not know what to do or did not have much interest in executing what he, he was supposed to do. It could be either or. Uh, it could be inexperience, could be unwillingness. We don't really know. But at the same time, it kind of just shows you, like, for a team that runs such intricate stuff that requires such a high basketball IQ and, like, a very specific type of player, uh, for them to try to go and, you know, just get get rid of all all these vets and just assume that their young guys are going to be ready to execute. They're kind of seeing the drawbacks of that right now. And I think like, you know, looking at the guys that are free agents right now, we're like, you know, Bielitsa is playing in the EuroLeague right now. And I think he was great for them in the regular season. I think he could come back. He's the only yeah. one here among this list. It's like Carmelo, LaMarcus, Ariza, Millsap. I think you said you thought it could maybe potentially uh, Chalmers. Mm-hmm. He's, done i mean i saw him at the g league showcase last year he was he was fine but he's just not nba dwight i we were saying which is a nice segue a little bit here to comment on the dwight thing did you get a, <laughs> did you get a, a low what, what was your highlights. impression from from the taiwan uh, yeah clips? i've seen some instagram clips i haven't gone in like 
and, and dug into, you know, I, I didn't, I haven't checked the second, second spectrum on that stuff, you know, just, just haven't made the time yet. You don't get the points per chance in front of you there. No, on, no. On his, <laughs> on his rim rolls. Yeah. Um, but just, I mean, he can jump really high still. That's, that's, yeah. that's what I got. That's all I got. Good for him. I, it's kind of it kind of reminds me of like it feels like some kind of a like a movie. I don't know that that whole that whole story. Because yeah. I, when I was going to comment on it, I was going to be like, "This is like hilarious," but then I, you know, you just can't you can't joke about. It. There's always somebody who's like, "No, it's not hilarious for this very serious reason." I, like I was, you know, I, no, it, it's just funny. It's Dwight shooting threes. It's funny, guys. I don't care. Um, but. What can what can we take away from this? I guess like let's circle back. Like what what is there a formula for a star? Because I was I was saying to you a lot of the stars that we've seen have to adjust in a big way who have stayed in the league. And John falls into this list as somebody who was injured and ha- and had to get, like was diverted. Sean Livingston. So, so you know who knows what his, one of my favorite players, but who knows what his role would have been if he had been healthy. Grant Hill is a guy. Who, um, Jesus Christ! If you didn't see Grant Hill in his prime, that's a that is a must YouTube thing to do. Uh, Derrick Rose is another one. Um, wh- is it, what's the blueprint? Is it the conscientiousness of somebody like Wall to like embrace a lesser role? Um, because we're seeing Russ, who was on the other end of the spectrum, who was having a really hard time, which is kind of an episode all on its own. Is there a blueprint? What do you think? You know, it's it's impossible to do a story like this and not necessarily think about Russ. And I think it kind of comes back down to the pressure. Like one of the things that Russ always says is that, first of all, there was a ton of pressure on him last year, right? Like from the fans booing, harassing his family to the organization to just no one's ever, if you're on the LeBron James team, like you're going to be the one taking the blame. Like that's, that's how it goes. (laughs) Things go, things go wrong. Like there will be a scapegoat. And like, it's also the Lakers and like that's there's a culture of that there too so there was a lot of pressure on him but every single time he was asked about that basically said something along the lines of there's nobody puts more pressure on me than I put on myself and I think that the key for wall has basically been doing the opposite of that basically realizing that yes I can handle the pressure but the pressure isn't necessarily good for me and that you don't want to always be putting that pressure on yourself. Like, I think the answer for, for Russ and, you know, we're seeing changes in, in his, his game now too. That's like definitely worth exploring at some point here. Uh, but I think the answer is realizing like, Hey, I actually don't have to be that guy anymore. There's no need for me to be that guy. So I'm going to go do something different now. Uh, but I think that also leads into something else that I think while has keyed into, and that's being able to find a way to be valuable. Uh, I think, you know, for everything that happened in, in Houston, um, he did have somewhat of a mentorship role there, right. With some of the young players. And I think he found a little bit of value in that. And I think he's now in this situation that really feeds into his play style and he, he's excellent in transition. He is getting this team to run in a way that it hasn't run before. He's making plays for them in a way that they just haven't seen before. So he, I think can feel how valuable he is. I think that's key. You know, I think some of this stuff is just psychological. It's being able to contribute. We all want to contribute in some way. Right. Yeah. And being able to, yeah, just being able to feel like, Hey, I belong here. I'm bringing something unique that nobody else can bring. 
Like that could just, that, that's, it's, that's a feeling of security as well. Yeah. I think playmaking is also a skill set that like, I think the fact that he's physically still, you know, okay and functioning like in uh, that, that is a skill set I think that can translate to a lot of situations and scale down. Doesn't necessarily have to be like super heavy load. I guess defensively he can hold up too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, last night though we were, I was like singing his praises on Twitter in transition, and I tweeted a clip of him in college how fucking fast he was, and you should check that out uh, if you want. But uh, Wall also had what eight turnovers, eight assists, and eight turnovers. Uh, <laughs> so that's kind of what we're doing. It's it's kind of leveling out. But I I'd, I'd say you, I think we would both describe ourselves as. Fairly optimistic about this experiment, though, would you say? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I said eight assists, eight turnovers. It's kind of like I was saying to you, I was like, that's kind of the equivalent of me going and playing hard, pick up for two hours, and then stopping for like a slice of pizza on the way home, which I do all the time. So I just negated what I did. And I wanted to ask you before we go. I think that's just called balance. That's balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that segue to pick up was masterful and purposeful because <laughs> I wanted to ask you about something. This is a little lighter. Spirit, I, I have a question. So, Talking about, and I want people to weigh in and kind of tell me what they think about this. So there's a guy that I play with at the gym I play with, um, a little older than me, sweetheart of a dude, love him personally, but this is all, this is just on, on court. He's one of those dudes who constantly, if you are not on his team, he will fake you out and call for the ball. Like he'll clap it. He'll clap and try to get you to call for the ball. Um, and it's not, it's not occasional. It's constantly um, I've fallen prey to it mm-hmm. many, many times. I usually get super, super pissed when it happens, when I fall for it. Uh-huh. A, have you ever known someone to do this? Mm-hmm. Have you done this? And what do you think about doing it all the time? Ethically, do we do we think that that's like a permissible thing to be doing in pickup basketball? Is it is it worthy of disdain? Where's the disdain meter? What do you think? Well, Kyle, I would just, I have to ask, is your, are you sure that your frustration and disdain is being like, is it kind of being leveled at him? Are you perhaps projecting? Are you actually disgusted with yourself for continuously making the same mistake over and over again? It annoys, you know, if, if it's on, it's one of those things too. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Joe Kim Noah used to annoy me when he wasn't on my team, but if he was on my team, I would have, I would have loved him. Uh, if, if he's on my team and, and people are throwing the ball to this person, uh, I think it's hilarious. I just kind of, I'm wondering where, you know, do you sign off on this behavior, Sirit? Would you ever do this? What do you think? I wouldn't do it. I would be exceptionally annoyed if it was happening to me. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. But it's a fair play. I'll allow it. Okay. Are you are you much for like shenanigans in, in, in like the basketball setting? Were you a charge taker? Were you did you kind of sell contact? Were you because I never was wired like that. I never did stuff like that. I have I don't know. in my life I have never taken a charge. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's just in the, just in the, the penal system or the court. Yeah, she's never <laughs> taken she has yet to take a charge. Here, so. What what about you? What about you? Are you oh, oh, me on the, yeah. me on court? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, no, I took one charge and it was in a big game. We upset a team. This dude started to push me with his arm and I just fell backwards and it, and it worked. And I was like, hey, that's a thing. I just don't, I never had the presence of mind to do it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I just would never. Yeah, there's also something a little I mean, I really you know admire players who will take charges because like just on a self-preservation level. No. Like if you're if you're barreling at me, like my body's reaction is not going to be to just stand there. Right. I mean, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna fall down and it hurts. It's yeah. kind of a it's it's a thing you sign up for, yeah. definitely going in. I will say though, I think like also it's just not really, you know, 
I think taking charges is something that's more of like the professional basketball world, right? Like, sure. I, I play hard defense. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, I'm probably going to try to block the shot or contest it or something else, you know? Right. Outside of the organized setting, you know, you're a jackass if you're trying to, you know, it's like, come on. Come yeah. On. I, I, I was trying, I was thinking that uh, we had somebody the other day, another egregious call. We had a dude call a, uh, a he, he called a kick when he tried to save it in bound, and it was at game point. Um, anyway, it was it was it was a lame he thing. A There's kick? something he tried to call a kick because he was trapped on the baseline, and he like tried to mm. throw it in, and he was like, "Oh, it was kicked," and we were like, "A, no, it wasn't. B, don't make that call." Yeah, like, um, see, anyway. just like go fuck yourself. No way, <laughs> no way, guy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what are you uh, what are you working on? You want to promote anything before we go? You finishing anything up? Um, not not finishing, fortunately. Oh, uh, well, I do have a I do have boxing coming out. Um. And you had a Wembenyama video today as well. I always tell people, the day that I release a video, I'm actually invincible for like 24 hours. That's how I feel. I feel I feel like I could I could get in front of a car and just put my hand up like that. Uh, that. <laughs> and anyway. Okay, yeah, this makes like sense Neo. actually because before the show, like listeners, you were not graced by this. But, you know, Kyle was singing. He came in just I didn't like sing, you're, did you're I? like coming, you know. Yeah, I think um, I think my creative process has is filled with so much dread that uh, it all self inflicted and created, kind of like John Wall. It's like <laughs> you got to just accept, you know, that the pressure is maybe ego driven. So mm-hmm. no, no, I feel a little lighter. I finished a Victor Wimbanyama video, and you know, if you want to, if you want to watch it and tell me you hate it, feel free. But that is on YouTube. Yeah, we also have a ton of great stuff on the site right now. We yeah, always we have do. a ton of great, great stuff on the site, but like, man, we have an embarrassment of riches. Like, we got a Q&A with Shaq. Tyler Parker wrote about Shay. KOC's got his seven things. Michael Pena, um, he wrote, he wrote about the Nets. And that's, guys, it's just Tuesday, you know? It's just Tuesday. I mean, come on. And, and that's not to mention all the podcasts. What a just an embarrassment of riches we have. Absolutely. At, at this, at what this a site. site. Wow. What a site. What a time to be thankful, right? Mm-hmm. This week. Yes. Thanksgiving. I'm thankful. I'm grateful grateful. for all the great content. Me too. And I'm thankful for this pod. And I'm thankful to have seen you today, Sirit. Good to see you. I'll see you soon. Uh, See y'all later. Bye.